Well, since Easter, um, we have been in a series called Aftershock, which has been exploring how Jesus' death and resurrection and the early disciples' commitment to spreading the news, the good news about his resurrection and about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, how all of that created aftershocks that are still rippling through our world today. It has been our hope and prayer that as we personally and in community with each other continue to grow and process our own personal aftershocks from 2020, I have that hashtagged in my notes here, hashtag 2020, that we will be inspired to live lives so rooted and established in love, anchored to a God who is still with us and empowered by the Holy Spirit at work among us, that others around us start asking questions that lead them to personally taking next steps to discover how life with Jesus can transform their lives. Because I think that we can probably agree, coming out of a pandemic that has kept us often isolated, alone, confused, and afraid at times, our world desperately needs to get better at living life. And at Restoration, we believe living life abundantly comes through living life in relationship with Jesus. And we know it's going to take a lot of encouragement over the coming months to individuals and groups of people to improve our living life skills after 14 months of living in very, I even use living loosely, but living in varying degrees a quarantined life. So last week, if you were with us, or if you listened later, you know that Andrew Hess brought us a message about the story of Saul's personal encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. Andrew reminded us of the following truths illustrated by Paul's life. He said this, you can't meet Jesus and remain the same. He also said, Because Saul met Jesus, he was profoundly changed. And as I was listening to the story of Saul Paul last Sunday, I wrote down this question. Here's one of the first questions. You'll find it actually on your lyric sheet if you pick that up. But this is what it says. How or in what ways have you changed since encountering Jesus? I've been thinking about that all week. If you are someone who has had an encounter with Jesus or made the decision to follow him at any point in your life, I'd like to invite you to consider how have you changed because of encountering Jesus or continuing to encounter him. If you are listening today and realizing you haven't really encountered Jesus in a way that's changed your life, this message is still for you. I want to invite you to consider if there is anything about encountering Jesus or his people that encourages you to continue asking questions and putting yourself in places where you can learn more about the life of Jesus, like maybe checking out Starting Point, right? But back to my question. For some of you, when I ask that question, you already know. It's like an immediate thought. You may have a more Saul-like story where you were on the road to destruction, and Jesus intervened and literally saved you from a path of self-destruction. Maybe your story sounds like this. I've changed because I have broken the cycle of addiction in my life, and that has radically transformed my life and my family's future. For others of you, your changes may have been more subtle and happened over a longer amount of time, decades even. But perhaps you have experienced broken thought patterns being healed or the fruit of the Spirit blossoming in your life so that now instead of responding quickly in anger, you have greater self-control. 
or instead of constantly living in comparison to others, always finding yourself jealous, you have greater contentment than ever before. Maybe you've experienced the restoration of a broken relationship because of how you have changed, or perhaps you've gradually seen your priorities changing, what you do with your money, where you invest your time, the people you hang out with. Perhaps they look different now because you have encountered Jesus. The fact that you are in person or online today or listening later to this message says to me, you are open to having your life changed by encountering Jesus, and I'm glad that you're here today. Keep asking this question because you may be surprised at the changes you identify if you take some time to truly consider your answer. Along with considering that question, in what ways have you changed since encountering Jesus, I'd like, to, um, I'd like you to also consider, and this may be more important, but who has encouraged your personal transformation story? That's my second question. Who has encouraged your personal transformation story? We're going to pick up with Saul after his road to Damascus encounter with Jesus and see what's happening with him now. So that is in the book of Acts. If you have your scripture with you this morning, it may be called Acts of the Apostles if you're in the Bible app. We're going to go to chapter 9. While you're turning there, um, I also want to just make this as a point of clarification about Saul Paul. So Saul is his Jewish name, and Paul is his Roman name. And I will use them both while I'm speaking, but I'm always referring to the same person. But I'm not going to call them Saul Paul this whole time. So just know that that's the deal with Saul and his other name, Paul, which you may be more familiar with. But in Acts 9, we're going to look at verse 20. That's where we're going to start. Okay. It says, Saul spent several days, this is actually right before verse 20, with the disciples in Damascus. So he was on the road to Damascus. He keeps going on his travels after he has that encounter with Jesus. So that's where he is, where we find him today. At verse 20, at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. I'm going to stop there for a second because that is a truly headline-making type of news story in Paul's day. Saul was raised to know all the ins and outs of the Jewish law and to uphold it. He was known as a Pharisee, and translating that into our context for you to understand it today is a bit complicated, but he would have been seen as a leader or an elder, a trusted source of knowledge about how to live life in line with the Jewish law. Do you know how many laws there are? There are 613 commandments for them to follow. So it's super complex. So he had a lot of knowledge if he was seen as someone who really understood all of those laws. Saul was also someone at the same time who was hell-bent to stop all of the Jews who were converting to followers of Jesus after Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And he was stopping them through nasty persecution. If you have time and you're interested, you can read Acts 6, 7, and 8 later today, and you will get a very clear picture of the character of Saul before his Damascus Road encounter with Jesus. But I'm going to summarize those chapters for you quickly by saying Saul was feared by the Jesus followers of the early church. And it would have been very difficult for them to believe that he had a story of transformation. Like if it was just him coming up and like saying, Jesus is Lord, they probably would have looked at him like, I don't know, are you really here to like stone me? Because that is what he was known for. In Acts 8, 3, it says this about Saul. 
Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. Or as another translation says, Saul, however, was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, drag off men and women, and put them in prison. It's likely the early followers of Jesus would have thought that he was making up his conversion story to get close to them so he could turn around and kill them. So we're going to check out Acts 9, now verse 21 and following, to see how the people around Saul are reacting to him. And this is really important for where we're going today. Because while he encountered Jesus and his life has been radically changed, his encounter with Jesus did not transform his reputation overnight. So here we are at verse 21. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. After many days had gone by, there was a conspiracy among the Jews. These are the people Saul was just with, persecuting, killing the early Christians, okay? So now those people have turned on him. Now there's a conspiracy among them to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night, they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. Okay, so now... This would make a great movie, I kind of think. He's on the run from the people he used to lead in persecuting the followers of Jesus, and there is no way the early followers of Jesus would have been excited for Paul to run to them in another city. Okay, so we're going to look at Acts 9, 26. It says, when he came to Jerusalem, so now he's escaped Damascus where there's a plot to kill him. He's now arrived at Jerusalem. He tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. And can you blame them, right? Saul, at this point, has no community that wants him as a part of them. No one trusts him. And I wonder if you have ever felt this way. Rejected by everyone. And I also wonder who helped to encourage Paul's journey forward, because this is really important. Someone interacted with Paul's story in a way that changed the trajectory of Paul's influence. He was heading down a path of destruction, which was going to be destroying the early church. Someone interacted with him and instead set Paul's life and skills and leadership ability on a course that set Paul up to build God's church and be used for God's good and God's glory for that generation of the early church and the generations of Jesus followers like us who came behind Paul and are still being grown in faith even today because of his teachings. As we continue to verse 27, we're about to meet a really key person in Paul's life after his encounter with Jesus. Look at me with verse 27. Here he is. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul, on his journey, had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Okay, pause. So now you should be wondering, who is this Barnabas? Why did he believe in Saul? And I want you to carefully observe what kind of person it took to change the trajectory of Saul's influence from destroying the early church to building the early church. 
So to learn more about who this person is, we're actually going to have to flip back in Acts a little bit. Back to Acts 4, which we've been in in prior messages with Ross. We're going to look at verses 36 and 37. So way before we meet Saul in Acts, we're introduced to a man named Barnabas. Check out what we learn about Barnabas. We're looking at verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus. Man, these guys are changing their names all the time, so hang in there for a second. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. So here's what we know about Barnabas. Number one, because he is named so early in the book of Acts, he is one of the earliest converts to following Jesus. Number two, he had a similar background to Paul. This is what I learned from my studies this week. Because he's a Hellenistic Jew from Cyprus who migrated back to Jerusalem. That is very similar to Paul's story. Number three, he is nicknamed after his ability to encourage. And if you study him throughout scripture, you'll also see he's known for being a prophet and a teacher. So, Not only is Barnabas similar in background to Paul, not only is he someone who encourages others so much so that he has a nickname, son of encouragement. So his, you know, given name was Joseph. He's now called Barnabas. He's also a landowner in Jerusalem who is generous. In studying this time frame, it's really obvious that Barnabas quickly became a highly admired and respected leader within the circle of the early apostles in Jerusalem. So I don't know about you, but if I were Saul, I just arrived in Jerusalem running from my life. It sounds like Barnabas is someone I'd want in my life on a regular basis for many reasons. So as a quick review, Paul returned to Jerusalem. He actually stayed in Damascus for quite a while until he had to run. But the apostles in Jerusalem are understandably cautious about him. I don't know if you guys remember last week, but Andrew shared about Ananias. Ananias was someone who also saw that Paul's transformation was real and kind of made a way for him to be among the people in Damascus. Okay, Barnabas is very similar to Ananias. And Barnabas becomes Paul's advocate among the Jerusalem leaders. With the help of Barnabas, Paul was invited into the center of the church's life. So he's not even just on the outskirts. He's invited into the very core of the leadership there. Together, Paul and Barnabas go on, as we see throughout the rest of the book of Acts and and beyond in the New Testament, that they become co-pastors to fellowships in the area. They actually go on to plant and grow churches in the nearby region, and eventually they would be commissioned together to travel west, even further, as missionaries. And while they eventually parted ways, there's evidence that Paul continued to hold great respect for Barnabas as he refers um, in a really friendship type of way to Barnabas briefly in his letters to the Corinthians. So take a second to let Barnabas' influence on Paul's life and the aftershocks of their relationship sink in. Because here's the thing. Because of Barnabas' encouragement to really come into the center of that group of leaders, Paul ends up writing 28% of the New Testament. That's 14 letters. One of them's a little bit debatable. But that is, that is still creating so many aftershocks in our world today as we study the New Testament and learn from Paul. So another way you could ask the question, who has encouraged your personal transformation story, is this. It could sound like, who is a Barnabas to you? I'm sure many of you at some point in your life have identified with Saul, feeling on the outside, not really belonging to a community who love you, 
um, encourage you or bring you to Jesus. So I wonder, if you are here today, who has been a Barnabas to you? Also, you could definitely send them a text today and say, hey, thanks for being a Barnabas. They might look at you like you're crazy if they don't know this story, but you could explain what they have meant to you um, in your life. So personally, I have been blessed by Barnabas-like encouragers my whole life, which I now recognize as um, all of those people have been gifts from my Heavenly Father. There's an entire army of Barnabases, male and female, that have and still continue to encourage me along my way. Starting as a little child growing up through my elementary school years, I'm going to list some of them for you. I had Mrs. Pugh and Mrs. Fulton, the McElhaney's, the Robinsons, Mrs. Benjamin, Mrs. Sweetser, heading into youth group as a tween and teenager, were the Webbers, the McCluskeys, the Hefties, the Bevins, Barb, Lisa. I had many other college-age youth group leaders like Rachel, Amy, Kara, Mark, Bill, Scott. The list is really long. Like, this is not even really touching. This is like the tip of the iceberg, right? Entering into college and having particular staff and pastors and professors at Bethel University encouraged my life, um, telling me what gifts and skills they saw in me and encouraging me to go after opportunities to learn, stretch, grow my leadership skills. Fresh out of college until this day, I've had a number of co-workers and mentors who continue to help encourage my growth and exploration of who God has created me to be and my purpose on this earth as a Jesus follower. I'm able to stand here today because of the Barnabases in my life who have cheered me on and brought me further into leadership roles in these contexts. And as I've headed into adulthood looking back, I can also say that both of my parents were a huge encouragement in my life. And on Mother's Day, of course, I have to share how my mom is a great source of encouragement to me through her acts of service to my family, her prayers for me, her words of affirmation to me as a woman in ministry. I stand before you, though, recognizing how rich in these relationships I am. And I share that as a way of thanking God aloud in front of you. And I only share these examples really to say thank you, God, for all of these people that I listed, and those I didn't even list by name, because they are part of the story of God equipping this church with leaders, because they are part of the story of my life. And as a leader of this church, when I look around at Restoration People, I see many natural encouragers. So many of you are gifted at things like this, seeing someone growing in an area and encouraging them to keep growing being willing to help someone take a next step of faith by inviting them further into life here at Restoration, having truthful and grace-filled conversations that lead people to consider growing in certain ways, always including your people in invites to come and see what God is up to at Restoration, or sending that text at just the right time when the person on the other side needs to hear from a friend who cares about them. The good news is for Restoration that there are a lot of Barnabases among us, and I want to pause and say thank you, because Restoration literally would not exist if we didn't already have a culture of encouragement created by all of the Barnabases among us. And I believe it will be crucial to our mission in the future for us to continue to develop and multiply Barnabases, because each one of you sees and interacts with different people than each other every single day. And your encouragement towards others, when done from authentic places of love, has the potential to impact generations of Jesus followers in this community and beyond. So my final question for today is this. Who are you a Barnabas to? 
As you consider where you're at in your own journey, I think your answers to the three questions I've asked today will help you figure out what next steps to take. Know that you can always head to our website, restorationchurchpa.org, with the, the backslash next dash steps, and learn more about what is available to help you take your next step. Whether you want to learn more about Jesus, or you're ready to connect with someone to encourage you, or you know you want to intentionally be an encourager to someone else, we have a place for all of that here. You can always reach out to any of us um, on staff or the person who invited you to restoration as well because we love to help people take their next steps. As I think about our discipleship pathway, um, I can even see Saul's own journey reflected through it. And for those of you online, that image is coming up. But I can see there's like these three circles and one big circle in the middle for those of you in person. And the first circle is begin. And that means to engage with restoration community and begin your journey. And I, that's like Paul's Damascus encounter, you know, Damascus Road encounter with Jesus. There's always a, a, a time when you say, I'm going to begin this journey. I don't know where it's heading, but I'm ready to begin engaging with this church community or this person that I know who loves Jesus and ask them some questions. Then the next circle in our discipleship pathway is belong, and that's learn, serve, do life with a small group of friends. Well, Paul had invitations into community from Ananias and Barnabas, right? That made a huge difference for him as he started to learn how to do life in a different way as a Jesus follower. That's where I'm also going to give that starting point shout out. Um, that's a great class. If you're like curious and ready to learn more, that's a great place to start. Then on our discipleship pathway, we have the word become, and that's to commit to a life of love modeled and empowered by Jesus and lead others and teams to do the same. Well, we see Paul as he begins to encourage other new believers and churches to grow. And then we have the big circle in the middle is says bridge, and that's learn to live like Jesus in and for our community and world as individuals and together as the church. Well, you can see that in Paul's life as he goes even further into the world to become a church planter and a missionary and an equipper of the church. So as a practical way of illustrating how this can work in the life of our church, I've actually invited my brother, Josh Ritter, who is the director of Treehouse at Restoration, and his team member, Nicole Lustica, to come and chat with me. You guys can come on up. While they're coming to join me, if you don't have a Barnabas in your life encouraging you, or if you do not have someone you are encouraging or a place to be a Barnabas, I beg you to not tune out right now. For those of you who don't know, you guys have to come over here so you're on camera. Sorry. This is like the weird, this is weird. <laughs> yeah, if you're real close to me, it's probably better, right? Are they good? They're good? If you stand behind the piano, then you're good for sure. Okay. For those of you who don't know, Treehouse meets twice a week at Restoration, except for tonight because it's Mother's Day. Um, and it's for youth, grades 6 through 12. They meet on Sundays and Wednesdays from 6.30 to 8. There's more information available on our website and their website. Um, but here's what I want you to know. Youth today, and if you're one of them sitting out there, I bet you can identify with this, they're facing an epidemic of hopelessness. One in three teens report feelings of hopelessness for more than two weeks at a time. So out of over 7,000 teens in our community, more than 2,000 of them are experiencing hopelessness at any given time, with over 1,000 of them seriously considering suicide. And Treehouse exists to end hopelessness among teens. That's their mission statement. 
Teens need safe, grace-placed environments where they can process their struggles. It takes healthy relationships and committed mentors, a.k.a. Barnabases, right, and invested communities like all of us. Hope grows as teens learn about a loving God and truly know that they are lovable, capable, worthwhile, and there's a couple more. Yeah, there's a few more things, but yeah, without strings, yeah, you'll tell us more. Hope grows as teens learn about a loving God and truly know that. But Treehouse stands out to me as potential for super mega Barnabas-like impact, like the kind of impact that leaves a lasting legacy and transforms individual lives and eventually families and households, communities really for eternity by ending hopelessness in our teens. And it's a mission that will take all of us together, seeing our teens, creating safe places where they belong, and seeing that they as teens have value to add to our community and world, much like Barnabas did for Saul. So I'm going to ask these guys a couple questions. Um, Thanks for joining me today. Uh, My first question, is it on? There you go. Um, My first question, I think, goes to Josh, and that is this. What makes Treehouse the model of youth ministry you got behind when you were graduating college over a decade ago? Yeah, so I'm just going to read my answer because if I didn't, We'd be here pretty long. Um, so uh, when I think back to my time as a teenager and what helped me to get through those years, most of it were the people who spent time investing in my life. And uh, when I did my list, you were like, that's really yeah, so Because like, we grew up together. We're, you know, brother and sister here. Yeah, so there's a lot of overlap <laughs> yeah, on, a lot on of overlap. my list. That, um, so but the, those people would be caring for me as a person. They knew me. Um, and like you, I'm, I realized what a privilege that was. Um, not just to have loving parents, which is like a huge blessing and a privilege, uh, but other caring adults in my life that knew who I was and cared about me. So what I've come to realize about Treehouse since first having an internship with them 13 years ago in college is that is the most effective model of youth ministry that I've come across in terms of providing a safe environment for young people to connect on a deep level with caring adults as well as to form positive bonds with their peers. So the main reason we're able to do this effectively is our weekly support group sessions, where the only agenda for the night is for young people to give and receive support about the things going on in their lives in a safe and confidential environment. One way I like to explain the power of support groups is that we we consistently have middle school boys sharing about their feelings uh, in a group that includes not only other middle school boys, but girls and high school students. So, like, where else does that happen, right? Yeah. Where else, right. like, where else is that even, like, you can't, I can't even think of, like, where else that would happen, where middle school boys would be accurately telling other people about what their feelings are from the week, right? Right, right. yes. And I know because I have one. Right. And he loves it. <laughs> right. So, yes. Um, but I also think about nights like last Wednesday when one of our students was able to just, like, unload all of what they've been through in the past couple weeks while the group listened respectfully, and then that student was brought to tears by the support other students and our leaders were able to offer them because we've all come to know each other so well we know what each other we what each person needs to hear and to feel that they are lovable capable and worthwhile that they're loved no matter what and that they have a future and are never alone a support group is absolutely my favorite thing that we do because it gives us the opportunity each week to speak the hope and unconditional love of jesus into the lives of every student in a personal and meaningful way that's really cool. Thanks for sharing that. Because it is different than maybe a traditional youth group, especially because of support group. 
Yeah. Um, Nicole, how do you know that Treehouse works? Well, one of the great things about Treehouse, um, you know, is we try to track our results. So we have the results from a survey completed at the end of 2020 um, for all of our Treehouse locations. So 76% of Treehouse teens discovered their personal value and purpose, and that's up from 67% in 2020. Or, I'm sorry, 2019. So you're saying these results are coming during the quarantine year? Absolutely, yes. Okay, cool. So 74% saw a decrease in negative mental health symptoms. And like you had just said, you know, keep in mind that these results are throughout the pandemic. 74% saw a decrease in negative mental health symptoms. 92% of Treehouse teens were in healthy relationships with peers and mentors. During the... COVID. During (laughs) COVID. And that was really shocking for us to see how it, and it's up from the previous year. So we really were able to build those relationships um, during this time period, even stronger than what we had before. Um, And that's up from 75% in 2019. And then 65% built coping skills to navigate obstacles in their life. And again, that's up from 48% in 2019. Um, all of these data points show that, you know, what we're doing is helping us reach our mission, which is to end hopelessness among teens. Right. Yeah. That's awesome. Is there a story that you guys can share about life change that happened because of like that Barnabas type relationship between a student and an adult volunteer? Yes. So I recently, um, went to work on creating a partner page for myself and just to share some of the testimonies for my students. So I reached out to a couple of students and asked them if they would be willing to write a testimony. This is one of their testimonies. Okay. Okay. So it says, I was just broken, dealing with trauma, and had major depression and anxiety. I felt so alone, and I even tried to take my own life. But then a friend told me about Treehouse. So I gave it a shot, and that was by far one of the best decisions I ever made in my life. Treehouse has helped me learn and grow as a person. They have taught me that I can achieve my goals and that I do have a future. I know I am no longer alone because of Treehouse and all of the amazing people within it. It has helped me cope and develop healthy habits to help with my depression and my anxiety. I do one-on-ones with one of the leaders, Nicole, and I can't even put into words how thankful I am for her and all that she has done for me. If someone asks me, what does Treehouse mean to you? Well, I'd say Treehouse means everything to me. Honestly, they're like a family to me, and if it weren't for them, I don't think I would still be alive today. I know that they are there for me. They have given me so many reasons to live. And I am so beyond grateful for Treehouse and the amazing people I have met because of it. That's awesome. We're all like teary up here. (laughs) That's just one of many stories. Well, and I heard a Barnabas like in in our youth because there was a Treehouse student Mm -hmm. who said to their friend, so students out there, hey, come with me. You need to check out Treehouse. So what you guys are doing is now being multiplied in the students that you're teaching how to have empathy and how to relate to their peers and then invite them to come. Right. And it saved a life. Like literally. All right. So Josh, how can we support Treehouse at restoration? Yeah. So there's a lot of different ways. Um, if you, if you have any interest in hanging out with us and in our teens, um, we meet Sundays and Wednesday nights. Uh, you can commit to any kind of level of commitment as long as you're consistent. Um, you know, that's the best way to develop relationships with, with anybody, but with our students. Um, we just ask for consistency. So if it's once a month on a Sunday, 
that's fine. We know what to expect. Um, if it's you know anything between that and every night that we meet, we'll mm -hmm. take we'll take your help. Cool. Um, so yeah, if you if you're interested in helping us or learning more about it, um, you can talk to us after. But um, that's one way is by investing your time um, and and just you know getting involved with our programming. Um, second way uh, is support. Yes, support. Yes. So mm -hmm. Nicole, myself, and our other team member, Dave Anderson, um, we all raise our own support to do this work. Um, so I would encourage you, if you have a personal relationship with any of us, to just talk with us about it. If you have maybe a little room in your budget to, to just support us monthly, that's the best way. Um, so, yeah, if you have a personal relationship with any of the three of us cool. uh, and you feel encouraged to do that, please have a conversation with us. Um, prayer is another huge one. So we have a, a prayer team. Um, it's a, I send out, you know, monthly or bi-monthly prayer requests uh, for Treehouse as a ministry. So if you'd like to get on that list, just give us your email. Um, and there's so many things you can be praying for, mm -hmm. uh, for what we do. Mm -hmm. Another cool way you can support us is by just shopping or and or donating to Good Stuff Thrift. Um, I, you might know that Good Stuff supports um, a lot of charities, kids' charities, mm -hmm. and they chose to partner with us uh, last year. So we've been so blessed by that partnership. And if you continue to shop there, if you continue to donate there, that means it we helps. get more support. Yeah. So um, keep doing that. Um, yeah, so those are the That's main great. ways. That's great. So if somebody wanted to get more information today, um, they could visit hopepa.org yep. if you're online and you want to check that out. Um, or they can come talk to you guys. You're going to be over at your table here yep. after the service. So that's awesome. Um, I hope that encourages you to know how much we care about youth here, but that we also do it in a way that has such an important mission um, of ending hopelessness in youth. And this team is priceless, invaluable, and we are so thankful Treehouse is at restoration. Um, I'm going to close this time in prayer. We're going to sing one more song as we wrap it up, but feel free to come over and talk to these guys. Um, they'd love to get to know you, and maybe you have a story you want to share with them about somebody in your life as a youth that impacted you, and you want to turn around and give back now. So, And youth, you guys keep inviting your friends, right? Keep being those Barnabas that say, hey, come along with me, right? All right, let me pray. God, I thank you for the book of Acts and the life of Paul and Barnabas. We also thank you for the incredible ministry of Treehouse and the students and staff and volunteers that are learning how to offer encouragement to one another in a safe, grace-based place. We pray that you will continue to develop a culture of encouragement and restoration, that as we encounter you, you would continue to grow in us a spirit of encouragement so that we may be encouraged to live life abundantly in you and so that we can encourage others to do the same. We thank you that life with you is better than anything the world can offer to us. And we pray that you will give us eyes to see who is encouraging us and to be watching for who we can encourage every day this week as we go from here. Father, we desire to be people of encouragement who impact people in our lives so that future generations can come to know you, your good news, and your hope. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray this. Amen.